And I was like, well, I'm giving my, you know, I'm giving my life back to running. Um, people made uh, forged a way for me to get to this point. So I can't do anything but to give back. So I made that decision well when I signed those application letters and, you know, admittance letters and, you know, things like that. So I couldn't do anything less but give back. Track and field world, UNL tuned in to our humble servant, Mike Cunningham, for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. Well, welcome to the show. It's the ghost who appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most. Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. You gotta prep before you carry the load. It's coffee to the soul for those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road? There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toll. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen till you listen with both ears. Can't mentor without a mentor's years of experience. You can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a stand to deliver up to. And the price sacrifice, can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight, not a win or lose. It's not a ploy, but advice so y'all can make more moves. It's not about how to, it's all about why. You don't know till you know who you are inside. Six million ways to tie, choose none. So we all cross the finish line, the work ain't done. So we learn from the experts, we all gotta put in the legwork. Gill Athletics is a network, it's all about connections. Put together for the profession, to every track coach could be the blessing. Thanks again for being here on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. I'm so just really blessed and humbled to be your host, Mike Cunningham. The I guess my official title is the National Business Development Manager, but you know everybody around here just calls me the podcast guy. So so happy that you're here as we continue our you know really our mission, our goal here on the podcast to uplift and honor coaches around the country and even sometimes around the world. And we're gonna go we're gonna stay in the U.S. today. We're gonna go to New York. Help me welcome from Marist College the wise, the wonderful Mr. Billy Poole Harris. Billy, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Awesome. You know, we're we're on episode, you know, we're getting so close to episode 250. So, you know, we've had over 200 and something coaches here. You might have the coolest name of anybody that I've ever <laughs> interviewed. Billy Pool Harris. I was talking to Billy before we hit record here. I can't say Billy Pool Harris without thinking of Billy D. Williams, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. It was a simple name for my mom. Very simple for us. So uh, I love it, man. I uh, you know, um, Billy D. Williams, you know, you think about the the movies, obviously Star Wars and some of his commercials, and uh, I mean, just a smooth dude. So I'm excited to see how how much you correlate with that. Are you just a smooth oh, dude I'm, in the I'm coaching a, world? I'm very, yeah, I'm a very rigid guy. I'm not as smooth as Billy D. Williams. I can tell you that right. Now. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say you were as smooth as him, and I was like, well, we're going to find out because. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I love it. Well, Billy, thanks for joining us here today. You know, uh, it's interesting with the podcast here. You know, we do 52 episodes a year. So every Monday, as you know, you know, you faithful listeners out there, so happy for you and so um, uh, grateful for you. We get 52 coaches a year. There are thousands of coaches out there. And I actually do. People probably don't believe this, but it's true. When someone reaches out and says, hey, I'd like to be on the podcast, or what happens very frequently is someone will nominate someone else. I always tell them, I'll put you on the list. And so I have a list that's, I don't know, I'm probably 100 deep now on that list. So if I only went off that list, 
Well, that would take me two years to get to. Well, my friend here, Billy, today's guest, reached out to me a couple of years ago. This is, you know, we're nearing the end of season four. So this is probably 2021 or, or so. And, and I told him, I was like, Billy, I got you on the list. And I'm sure, because I didn't, did not talk to Billy about the podcast for a while. Billy was like, yeah, Mike, whatever. The, <laughs> the list. And here we are, man. So thank you so much yeah. for your patience. Thanks for uh, still uh, being willing to be on the show and uh, talk about your journey here in this great profession. So thank you, Billy. Appreciate you very much, man. No, no problem. I want to drive that point home. I remember it. we were at the, the convention. And uh, in Florida, and you had my teammate and good friend and mentor, Bob Thernhofer on here talking about the jumps and things. And I'm <laughs> like, I listen to your podcast quite often. I was like, oh, Bob, oh, man, I got to get on this. So we ran into each other at Starbucks um, at the coffee yes. shop early in the morning. And I was like, man, first we took our selfie. <laughs> then I was like, man, I got to be on your podcast. You're like, I got you. I was like, OK, I got you. <laughs> so here we are. Well, we're definitely learning you have a much better memory than I do. That's uh, <laughs> wow, man. And, you know, shout out to Bob, you know, Gil Podcast alum. And, and here's what's interesting. And we, again, you know, Billy, you know, I talked a little bit about this before we hit record. Um, well, I certainly would have loved to have done it two years ago. I'm glad we're doing it two years post that. Bob is a great example. I'm so happy we had Bob on the podcast. One of the more popular episodes we've had um, and, you know, learned a lot about him and his journey and his journey has continued I mean, really, like, unbelievably, I don't want to say skyrocket. I, I pretty much say it was because he was on the podcast. That's a joke. Uh, but, you know, he's, well, I... we had him at Loyola. Uh, and then, he, you know, he, when he was at Loyola, and then he goes to New Mexico and does an amazing job. And now he's at Louisville about to do an yeah. amazing job. So super interesting yeah. to hear your entire journey and what's happened over these two years since we yeah. talked about and then I'll actually making it happen. So Billy, let's get started here. You know, what's your origin story when you think about track and field and specifically coaching and, the, and therefore the coaches that poured into you somewhere along the way, assuming that you were an athlete, coaching had to go from something that was done to you, Billy, go run this, lift that, et cetera, to an inkling of an idea of like, well, wait a minute, maybe I, maybe that actually could be my career. I could be a coach. Where does track and field and track and field coaches begin for you? Wow. Um, well, we're going way back. Um, it was back actually back in 1998. Uh -huh. uh, I was a freshman in high school at Oak Park and River Forest High School in Illinois. <clears throat> and I was a captain. Uh, we would go, uh, my coach, Jose Sosa, um, he's one of the, you know, one of the longest standing coaches um, there. He's since retired. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, these are captains. This is what we do. We stand up here for about two minutes and you explain to everybody on the team, your freshman class, why you want to be a captain. And so I was a bubbly guy um, when I was younger, more bubbly than I was now. I think I kind of more, mellowed more, out now. More, more Billy D back then. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, more yeah. Billy D. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just stood up there for two minutes and I really didn't know what I was going to say, but it just kind of came out. I was like, you know, I love running. It's fun. I'm meeting new friends and I want to help you. And that's all I said. It took me about, you know, a minute to say, and I sat back down and sure enough. And I was one of the faster guys on the team. And I think that's one of the re reasons why they're like, oh, well, this, this guy's fast. We kind of want to be like him. So let's pick him as a captain. And so that's kind of where it started. When I started to, um, when I started to go through the season kind of have this responsibility, which I, I thought it was a badge of honor. Like I was an Eagle Scout or something like that. Like I really took it seriously. And 
um, all of a sudden, I started to see myself grow as a captain uh, through the years, and I was a senior captain on my team. And we were 13th in the state of Illinois. We dethroned York High School Elmhurst. Uh, they had 28 consecutive um, conference titles in our senior year. We uh, we dethroned them for that one year. And wow. then uh, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. However, they came back the next three weeks and they were not stopping. They were like, <laughs> you, you can have this blurb in the matrix, but we got you. So they went on and they uh, they got fourth that year. That was a down year for them. Uh, they yeah. got fourth. Uh, yeah. We got 22nd. We were we were that, wasn't that good. But just going through those four years of experiences and having a deep relationship with my teammates and kind of being the, um, you know, the leader uh, of my high school, I was like, I can't get rid of this. Like, this is this is great. You know, it's very similar to Shaq. Like, the reason why he's a DJ is because he couldn't get over that feeling from mm -hmm. game seven when he won the World Series. I was kind of the same thing. I was like, I need to do this more. And, and as I learned, I was able to help people. And, and that's what it, what it all comes down to is just kind of helping people um, when, we were, when I was in high school. You know, the most important part of that thing that you said is never poke the bear that was Joe Newton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, as I sit here now, again, you know, 250 plus uh, interviews, there are certain people that I'm like, oh, man, you know, I messed up with this podcast. I should have started it five years earlier. Even to, to have a Joe Newton, right? I mean, come on, that that's the, you know, I've got, we're really creating this amazing library for the future generations of coaches to uh, look back on. And, uh, you know, when I think about a Joe Newton, who, you know, I used to coach at De La Salle in the Chicago Catholic League. So mm -hmm. I got to know Joe that way. In fact, um, uh, he had a really good runner transfer running Marius back in the, my uh, one of my years there. And our guy beat Marius at the cross country uh, state meet. And that was a big deal. Cause it was like, yeah. not, you're not just beating Marius who, you know, is amazing. You beat Joe Newton's kid. <laughs> Don't uh, do that. <laughs> that was the most important part. The second part that really was interesting there, you know, you're talking about captainship and how we pick captains and things like that. And, you know, traditionally, especially on the high school level and maybe on the college level, but specifically on the high school level, you know, you said you were probably picked because you were one of the fastest or the fastest, not because of any kind of necessary leadership skills that you had right. shown. But what I like that you talked about there, though, is so you're put into this leadership role. And while you might have not been and you know, and I'm, I'm not saying that you weren't because you definitely didn't say this, but I'm saying you might not have been the leader at that point. But because you were in that position, you grew like you stepped up to the position like, oh, oh, I'm the captain now. Well, OK, then I will be. It doesn't matter how fast or not. I will start working on leadership skills. That that was fascinating to me. I, I can't agree with you more. Um, I've learned so differently uh, now as I've become a coach and I've started to see, you know, what it means. And you can't th those things you have to work for. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, my, my coaches weren't bad or anything like that. We're freshmen, you know, we're like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, we don't care about the freshmen in high school. You know, you get the, the baggy jerseys, you get the baggy shorts, you know, you're running three miles and the, you know, the shorts kind of fall off you. Like they really don't care about you unless you like, you know, um, good, but I'm, I'm sure all the coaches care about all of their kids, but I was just saying that figuratively, yeah. but yeah, it was, I, I didn't know any better. I was like, holy goodness. I, I have to do a good job. Like, how did this happen? So, yeah, now you start to grow and you um, through my coaching career and then you see kids that start to buy people off. Uh, I had a kid one time on my high school team when I was at Whitney Young and he was like, hey, guys, you know, 
my name, you know, is such and such. I want to be captain. And if you pick me, I'll give you, you know, gift cards to Starbucks. No. I was like, yeah, that's not happening here. That's not I, happening. I, I think if you look in the dictionary <laughs> of uh, what is not leadership, I, I think that's that it. Was it right there. Uh, but before we keep going on, because I know you've had, you know, we're going to talk about some amazing stops and places you've been to coaching. I, I'm still curious about this captainship because, you know, it was a, in my words here, it was a given captainship, meaning it was because you're the fast guy, not necessarily because you're leader, but you grew into this role. What I'm curious about as you continue to grow, grow into this leadership role and become a leader, a, a true captain by definition on the track, did you notice now that you can, you know, we have perspective now, we can look back and see things a little more clearly than when we were in the moment as a 17 year old kid, right? Mm -hmm. Did you see the type of leadership that you were growing into and started to exhibit to others on the track? Did you see it transfer to the classroom as well? Or was that different? See, that was different. Um, I was all consuming mm -hmm. in cross country and track. I was, I would say I was just at average and if I had a bad day I was below average as a student mm -hmm, <laughs> and then mm -hmm. we went from there but after after my high school tenure um I was I went to college thankfully and it changed drastically I was like whoa I know what I need to do now so I was a late bloomer I would say academically mm -hmm. and athletically <laughs> but yeah no the that that captainship changed me for you know to who I am this at this point in time so I'm still blooming in my academic side so you you were <laughs> you're still light years ahead of me yeah, um yeah. La last question and we'll start moving towards the college side here do you have an example or can you think of a an incident or a time where as you're growing in in this captainship not only as freshman year but all the way through senior year uh an interaction with coach right you talked about coach and how much you know that he worked with you on, on in the team and things and now retired um but was there like how did how did he utilize captainship for his team? Yeah, he he was more hands off. Hmm. Um, he he was the X and O guys. We're going out here. We're running repeat. You know, whatever's and we're moving forward. Anything socially, anything you know, as far as like any strifles on the team, you know, that's your job to handle. Okay. Um, and I would consult with him often on, you know, how to go through and guide through this particular uh, situation. And and one memory comes to mind. It was when we got beat by York uh, shortly thereafter. We were so frustrated. Um, we get home. I think we were at we were in Oswego uh, when they had I mean, Illinois, the landscape of Illinois running has trained changed so much, um, especially since the, the 90s. But we were way out in Oswego for a section of meat. And when we came back, we were we obviously didn't do as well as we wanted to. And I was upset. We get off the bus. Everybody goes home. <clears throat> I go home and I just could not shake this. Um, I couldn't shake this irritant, which was we lost. So I went, I, I jogged back to school and he was there because I just wanted to kind of like run and get it out of my system. And he was there. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, we need to get better. Like, how do we get better? What have we done? And he looked at me, he's like, why are you here at night? I'm like, because I'm mad, I'm upset. We have to, you know, get this done. And we're at a senior, um, I'm at a senior at this point. So, we, you know, we're at the end of the season, everything has gone right. And we just could not get over that, that hump. And so that's where I was kind of curious about that. And I was a little passionate back then um, when it came to asking that question. So he was like, you're a true leader, Billy, go home and go to bed. We'll figure it out tomorrow. I'm like, 
no, we got to figure it out now. <laughs> so he's like, no, go home. So I went home, slept on it. And then, you know, we just start to come up with different plans. Obviously it didn't work out in our favor, but just the curiosity of why we're not doing what we need to do came up. That's what he was, uh, he kept talking to me years later about how he really enjoyed me being the captain and leader on that because we grew and I just, I was just inquisitive. I'm, I'm still a lifelong learner and it kind of started during that time. Do you see the wiseness in his counsel of go home and sleep? You, you know, when we make decisions or when we're trying to figure out plans and, and making decisions, emotions can sometimes cloud us. And you can certainly be forgiven as an 18 year old with emotions. Of course, you know, we're, yeah. we're 40 something year olds now and we certainly have our emotions. <laughs> but I, I like that counsel of like, hey, I love that. I love your passion. Go home and go to sleep. And tomorrow, let's rationally sit down and talk about it and create a plan. I like that counsel from coach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's man. He's he was one of my father figures. So yeah, yeah definitely. I love that. Mm -hmm. So as you're in your senior year and you start thinking about next and going to college and running and what what we're going to become, are we going to become an accountant? Are we going to become a teacher? What are we? Gonna, what were you thinking at this moment as you were looking towards college as far as a career? Yeah, so we go back to that academic blossoming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> we um. I got some help getting into college. Um, mm -hmm. I needed it uh, academically. I wasn't hitting the marks that I needed to because again, I was all consuming with running. And I got some help. One of my um, one of my good teammates, you know, they helped guide me through the whole collegiate process. And I barely, barely got into UIC. Mm -hmm. um, and Jim Canado was my coach yeah. during the time. Mm -hmm. um, and we have some. You know, this is going to be this recurrent thing with me. I'm a very passionate person. Um, and so, <laughs> so, so that's where I ended up, kind of stayed home. Um, I was commuting um, from UIC back home to Oak Park and kind of back and forth through my freshman year and then through my sophomore year. And when I got to campus my so freshman year, I, um, I was like, all right, first class was African-American studies. And do the whole thing, sit in the front of the class, make sure you're there early, all that type of stuff. I'm like, yeah, this stuff doesn't work, but I'm gonna try it anyway. So I'm in a class that I actually enjoyed, you know, and when I sat down, I read, it was on the, the, the professor's podium and it just said UIC and it said University of Illinois at Chicago. And I could not stop staring at that. And the reason why I couldn't stop staring at it is because I made it. Um, my legs helped me get to where I needed to be. I was a first-generation college student. Uh, my family didn't go immediately after high school, but they then, you know, carried on throughout. And I was like, this is big. Like, Bill, you need to stop messing around. You, you mm -hmm. got to hit your academics. And so um, I knew I wanted to do running because it got me to where I was, which was college. And I was like, well, I'm giving my, you know, I'm giving my life back to running. Um, people made uh, forged a way for me to get to this point. So I can't do anything but to give back. So I made that decision well when I signed those application letters and, you know, admittance letters and, you know, things like that. So I couldn't do anything less but give back. Sounds like you feel like if you weren't running and had some talent that you might not have gone on to college. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have went to college if I did not have my my legs. Yeah. And that's my support staff. Right. Yeah. That's another great lesson of to our coaches that are out there, uh, specifically on the high school side there. You know, um, I'll never stop beating the drum of what 
high school coaches do for young people, 14, 18 years old uh, across America. And, you know, 99% of them aren't going to go on to college. You know, they're, they're going to go on to become moms and dads and business owners and um, going to college to run track. But, you know, and, and, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, to hear that story of like, man, you know, there were probably times in your high school career where you thought you should quit or contemplated quitting or, um, you know, a coach came by and said, Hey, I know you had a tough race or a tough practice, or this has been a tough week or month for you even, um, Hey, you're, you're, you're getting better. Just, just stay at it. You know, sometimes we just need that, that adult figure, that coach to believe in them because sometimes it's hard, especially as young people to believe in ourselves. So to have that and to be able to go into college and be one of the first in your family. Um, and I can see that, you know, I, you painted a great picture there. I can see you sitting in the front and seeing that UIC sign and be like, oh, okay, hold on. This, this is serious. Like this is real. Yeah. 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 This is real. Yeah. 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 The alternative probably isn't very pretty. So I better buckle up here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The alternative in my family, there was no other option. Mm-hmm. This was commit and move forward. That's essentially what it was. And you mentioned Jim Canadal. I hesitate. I can't uh, not say he's also a podcast alum. <laughs> he's also been here on the podcast. A great author too, by the way. Oh I'm, yeah, I, I'm Second not. Book now. Yeah, I'm not a distance guy, but I read his first one. It was it 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 sucked me in, man. It was oh, really yeah. well written. He's a great job. So check out Jim Canadal's books uh, as well. <clears throat> so you're sitting there and you, the, the seriousness of being at USC and being at a, you know, post-secondary being at a college hits you is in, is that when you were like, Oh, okay, I'm going to be a coach. I'm going to do something in this running world. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was it. And I was in Canado's uh, coach Canado's office um, during my freshman year. And he had a picture in the back, you know, in his office. And obviously he was, he was with some, um, some Asian Pacific women in this picture. I'm just like, How'd you get there? You know, because he had on USA garb. And I was like, how'd you get there? He was like, oh, I just went to the convention. I, you know, because he coached the international team for mm-hmm. USA track and field. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. And so, you know, I just kind of was like, I want to be a coach, you know. Um, and just again, my journey to get to his office and to the institution at, at UIC, it was like, I, I have to do this. And, and I kind of say jokingly with all the uh guy athletes that I coach I was like men do things that they do very men like to do things that they do very well um so if you go and you know your significant other says hey you took out the garbage great that day and you're like walking back like yeah I took out the garbage and then you try to do it the next day 40 mile an hour winds and you still try to take it out you know the very uh specifically how you did the first day is kind of funny so yeah, I was okay and really good at running. So I just kept doing it. I just kept doing it. We're, we're very simple people. We're very simple people. I'm kind of glad my wife does not listen to the podcast because she hears that. She's gonna be like, all right. I, all right. I know what yeah, you're doing. Yeah. I'll start like, man, she, she's giving me a lot of compliments lately. What's going on around here? <laughs> she wants you to do it over and That's over again. Right. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, she does. That's I hear that a lot. Yes, sir. <laughs> so you're with Jim Canadal. You're studying now just because you go to college doesn't mean things automatically turn around and you become this, you know, well studied, know how to, uh, you know, exams and things like that. Uh, probably maybe grew into it obviously, but what, what were, what was your experience like through your years at UIC run and, you know, and you're doing something very hard. You're juggling academics and the athletics. Yeah. That's not easy. How did that yeah. journey go for you with Jim leading you as the head, as the coach there? 
Well, yeah, it was it was awesome. The first semester, my GPA was high. It was a three point something, um, just well higher than what it was. It started. Was it started school. with a three. It started with a three. I was like, all right. I, it was all A's and a couple of B's, and that was the first semester. You know, just and I didn't look back. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, running running started to take a, a turn. You know, I had some hamstring injuries and things mm-hmm. like that. Then that kind of dipped my grades. You know, I met a, a significant other in high school, I mean, in college, and that derailed me a little bit. I'm just like, I, I can't, you know, first generation college athlete, mm-hmm. don't know what to expect, you know. And there's other things outside of running that that I enjoyed. I was like, wow, this is this is fun, mm-hmm. you know. And now I'm overloading my plate. Mm-hmm. And so now bad things start to happen. Mm-hmm. Billy, if you don't get your stuff together then you, you know, you won't continue on, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, okay. All right, cool. I got it. Makes sense. And so it just didn't happen for me. And I'm commuting back and forth from, from home because I stayed close to, to home. And again, I was, it was just me. No one could tell me how to move through this um, journey right. as a first year college student and running and, you know, on a division one level, because division one is, um, is designated for UIC. Mm-hmm. So I would just, I was in a brand new element, didn't know. So sophomore year, turned in my gear and I took a year off. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, normally a story that's going to be on this podcast would end right there, meaning you're not here. You're not coach. You know, you, you, you took a year off of running, like running's done like you don't become a co- exactly yeah see ya. yep see you later <laughs> I, I go off and do other great things probably yeah how did you so how did you come back and, and what did you learn over that year without track in your life oh man it was it was rough um I started coaching actually um started oh, coaching okay mm-hmm. so Proviso East uh Johnny mm-hmm. Jenkins um he was one of one of the first guys that uh I reached out to turned out with uh, relatives in the area. So <laughs> that was kind of fun. So I had a family member pick me up and help me get to, um, you know, what I enjoy. I was a good runner. Everybody knew it and can <clears throat> kind of in the area. And then now all of a sudden I'm w- working a waitress job. Um, I'm running cause I want to run in the marathon, um, in the 2002 Olympics. So I'm like, all right, I'm trained for the trials. Yeah. That, that didn't work out too well. Um, <laughs> And then 70, 80 miles a week before super shoes back in the nineties. Um, and then wait, wait, uh, waitressing, uh, on your feet all day. And yeah, it was, it was rough. So mm. I went to Proviso East high school. So that's my first high school job, mm-hmm. um, a coaching job, um, to, to supplement income while I was, you know, kind of in this, this weird space, you know, mm. um, you're still and- taking classes though, right? No, 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 not taking. Oh, classes. okay. So you yeah, yeah. dropped out in the sense. Okay, uh, I, yeah. I thought you meant you See just you stopped running. You, yeah, yeah, okay. I I continue running, but dropped out of uh, at school. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but not running for UIC because you, you dropped out of school. Not Got running it. for UIC. Okay. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then so I um so then after that I started to um coach a little bit. I would start to meet people in the community, other coaches in the Maywood area, um, on the western mm-hmm. suburbs, and then. One of the coaches at Proviso East, her name is Peggy Whitlow. She was like, Billy, we need some help at our school. I'm like, oh, I help. Uh, what do you what do you guys do? It's a severe and profound um, hearing and deaf school. Mm-hmm. I was like, OK, I go there. And so 
I went there and started working there. You know, I'm, I'm young, I'm mobile, you know, I'm working the third shift. So running is definitely taking a hit wow. right now. I went yeah. from waitressing <laughs> to, you know, working the third shift at this um, all inclusive um, special ed school, if you will, mm-hmm. in clothes, you know, they're self um, sufficient and they, um, they cater to uh, people that are deaf and hard of hearing. I'm blind, sorry. Deaf, mm-hmm. hard of hearing, and blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they try to teach them the basic uh, needs to survive. So um, wow. I worked there for about a year. Wow. And it was this one young girl. <laughs> she was, she was, you know, we would help them out and um, on the different wings. So when they go to sleep, obviously I was on the other side with the men and the women were on the other side, getting them prepared for bed. And after we, I was feeding special ed kids, hand, you know, in their mouth, just like they were, you know, young, young babies. And um, went through the curriculum throughout the day. But every night I would feed this young lady because it had, everybody had their own routine on what they needed to do. And so she was deaf and blind. She mm. was a Helen Keller, um, as we know today. And so she would go to sleep and she would wake up in the morning every day when um, right on time when we were leaving because third shift, I was 11 to seven. And then mm-hmm. the next morning was seven to, you know, whenever. And so she would come out Again, she couldn't see, but she'd see this blurb in the middle of the hallway because we would sit um, at the intersection and she would come out happy as I'll get out to come give me a hug before I would leave for the day. And when I left, because she didn't realize it at the time, then she would just get upset and irritable, like, hey, my friend left. Where is he going? Ah. And that's what I thought it would. It could have been something completely different, but that's where I fell in love with special ed. So, yeah, Billy, coaching, what, yeah. You're, what you're describing transcends coach it's 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 very akin to coaching in regards to uplifting and helping people but at the end of the day we're running circles i mean let's not over um exaggerate what we do as track coaches you know uh in regards to that but working with those who have needs uh there's nothing like that i mean that's that's what we are called to as a people to do how how did that i mean that seems to have have affected you i mean i see your face as you're telling the story in fact your face is very soft when you're talking about this young lady like there's a lot of like just good memories and love there yeah oh man yeah she was she was a fun one to be with like she she was my road dog for real um and and so that's that's when i started working with kids with special needs and so i um i re-enrolled back in school uh, i was at concordia chicago so i went from division one to division three mm-hmm. and now this time i'm on a mission um they were um, missouri lutheran senate school and so i went there um, finished out those two years. I graduated in 2008 and bad things happened in the winter of 2008. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so that's when I uh, got my degree and, and teaching. And then I went on to Whitney Young and I started working with kids with special needs full time. And now, um, after the experience I had at Proviso East, now I was equipped with coaching. I'm equipped with working with kids with special needs and, and I would work with severe and profound population at Whitney Young and after that it was it was it you know that was like kind of the um that was that next step or that next um peg into the my journey so Whitney Young the the Dolphins right the Dolphins yeah yeah. see uh very much known for basketball right big time basketball lots of NBA guys and gals from from that school you know it's one thing to, I'm going to say volunteer, meaning you're not at a school, but you you coming in to coach like you were at Proviso East and very familiar with Proviso East. Uh, that, that is, I always get mixed up. Proviso East or West, which is the one that was like the only indoor track around? Proviso West. 
Yeah, West. Okay, because that's where we used to do our Catholic League championships. It was the only yeah. it was the only indoor track around at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so now you're at Whitney Young. You've got your degree. Bravo, by the way. I mean, you know, it's thank you. I mean, graduating is not easy by any stretch of the imagination, no matter what. But when you don't have that example at home or in your network, there is no path for you don't see the path. Sometimes we just need to see the path and we don't have that in front of us. Yeah. So bravo for, you know, uh, dropping out and coming back too. that. Is, I, I bet you if you looked at the rates of graduation of anybody who takes any time off, whether it's a semester or a year, I bet it's very, very low. So uh, bravo to you yeah. for sticking it out, going back and, and sticking it out. So now you're you're teaching. So now you full time job. Now you're you're actually in the the uh, the, the school in the system. You're, you're Chicago teaching, publicly, yeah, you're yeah. in the system. You're in the CP, uh, CPS, um, and you're coaching. What was what's it like the first time you go to like for your, for the team? Um, you know, team meeting and team practice. Now that you you know like you you've seen Jim, you've seen Coach from back in high school. Now it's you though. Now it's you, you're the one with the whistle, so to yeah. speak. What was that like? Right. That journey of uh, like, okay, it's official. I'm I'm, a, I'm officially a coach now. Oh crap! Well, now I've got a coach. Yeah, yeah. So first thing I did was call Coach Canado because when I left, he was like, "Listen, I don't care about that. I don't care about you. I just need you to get your degree." Mm. Every time during that year and a half, two, three years while I was in college, I would see Canado at um, different, you know, running events. He's recruiting, or you know, he's just since retired and stuff. And he like, "Did you get your degree yet?" I'm like, uh, no, not yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so he stayed on me and very after. And a lot of college coaches, especially division one, there's a thing called an APR. So if you're, if you transfer and drop out, you kind of have to keep that kid in line. So he definitely got a couple points, um, on his APR with me because he stayed on my tail all the time and, yeah. and I'm forever grateful for him. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that. That, that sounds so, like him, someone who you know, cares no matter what, whether you're on my team or not. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that, that definitely stayed with me on, cool. you know, I tell that to kids now when they, when they're struggling, Hey, I don't care about you, get your degree. And every yeah. time I see them afterwards, I give them a call. Did you get your degree yet? You know, so <laughs> like, no, I'm, all, I'm working on it, coach. I'm working on it. You know? Um, but yeah, so I, I, I get to Whitney Young and I got an outfit and I'm just like, Oh, okay, here we go. And it was a little nerve wracking again, you know? So yeah, I was, I thought I knew everything, you know, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm reading some books, you know, kind of know what's going on here. And, and I just start coaching. I I just went into it full throttle, um, put, you know, I threw caution to the wind and I was just like, all right, now it's time to build some, some men. So. Uh, is Whitney Young a boys, all boys school? Uh, boys and girls, but boys I and girls. primarily boys. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I couldn't remember. I thought it was both, yeah. but I, I couldn't remember. <laughs> Uh, so how long were we there and how did that, did that go for you? Ah, uh, I was there for about 10 years. Wow. Um, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I left in uh, 2018. Uh, we, we did some, we did some cool stuff there. Um, we, we were the only Chicago public league school to win a sectional championship yeah. against a York, a Hinsdale, um, Maine South, Tom Brady. He was, uh, he, he runs for Michigan still yeah, uh -huh. to this day. He was, yeah. um, a sophomore and he was just outstanding. Um, yeah, so we were the only team to win a sectional championship. Yeah. Um, Jones College Prep, uh, Andrew Adelman, he was, we were the two schools that was going back and forth <laughs> because he then, I believe, since moved to Downers Grove South. I want to say a North. I'm, I'm not sure which one it was, but um, we were heavily, heavily, heavy rivalries uh, during that time. But um, 
I coached uh, the only city um, kid to go sub nine in the two mile. Um, he went four oh three um, as well. Uh-huh. So uh, so yeah, we we did some things. We won multiple city championships during that time at Whitney Young, and we didn't have a track. Uh, we didn't have right. um, you know anywhere to run, so we ran on the concrete outside yep. the building because Chicago is saturated with people. And um, I would say obstacles like taxi cabs and trains and trucks and stuff. So we just kind of stayed around the the building and we did our workouts there. We went on our runs down into the city near Sears Tower. I would never call it a Willis Tower. No, um, that's right. So, so yeah, we, we had some fun there definitely for those Let, 10 years. Let's dig in that a little bit because that is probably more common than we think. And I know we think about it if we're in the Chicago. So when I was there, yeah, this has been back in 96, 97 seasons. Um, and I was in the Catholic League. And I always remember, so like Dunbar High School was just down the road from us. And yes. I'd see the athletes and things. And I'd be like, man, you know, Chicago Public League was just not strong. And it was, and and, and I don't know who the coaches were necessarily back then. And that's, it's not a, a diss on them, but I do know the coaches that were in the Catholic League, Ed mm-hmm. Adams and uh, many other people like that I'm drawing blanks on, but amazing, amazing coaches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was always like, man, if if they could ever turn things around in the Chicago Public League, like they've got the athletes, like it can be really, yeah. really good. Um, mm-hmm. But what you're describing there, I love that you, you first of all, you coached a sub nine two miler. Holy cow. Uh, 403 miler. I know that seems like in today's world, it's like, oh, well, you, you didn't get a sub four. What's wrong yeah. with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But 403, you know, that's that's really good. Yeah. What you described there about not having a track. Uh, being very cement locked, right? You got a lot of asphalt. You don't have necessarily a lot of parks and stuff like that. Yeah. How, yeah. how did you t- talk about that? And, you know, we don't talk X's and O's, so don't get into the yeah. weeds there. But, um, you know, there are plenty of coaches that are in Atlanta right now and Dallas and um, New York City that are listening that are like, man, I, you know, I want to have a good distance program, but we just can't get in the vans and drive 20 miles out of the way every day to do this. So how did you you know, kind of big picture. How did you get that done with that young man and probably many other young men? I'm not talking X and O's. It's coaching is part science and part art. Hmm. And boy, was I creative. <laughs> it was absolutely, it was, I mean, you're, it, as long as you know how to work the energy systems, uh, specifically for endurance, then you can play with it. You know, everybody, you know, is talking about mile repeats this or quarter, you know, repeats this, you know, reading the book once a runner. We're going to do 6,400s. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Um, and again, it's you you got to build that belief in the number one that these things are going to work because you have all these other things out there on YouTube and Strava. Like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And, you know, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. Like, you got to understand your environment. And once you understand your environment, then you're able to use that science, what energy system you're working to then, you know, place into your environment and be creative with it. And so that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, I was super locked in on just the mechanics of running because we ran on hard surfaces all the time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm, Recently, I've been on this big push for more coaches, especially our Jim Canadals, our coaches that have, you know, have coached for 30, 40, 50 years uh, to do more of putting their story, their lessons on paper, you know, writing book. We have a lot of great leadership books from, you know, the Lou Holtzes and John Woodens, and, and they're deserved. Those are great. I think yeah. we need more. I just finished reading the book Twin Thieves. Have you read that book? 
I have not, but I love books. So we're going to chat afterwards. Yeah. It, it's a really good book. Um, it was recommended by one of our uh, guests here on the podcast. Uh, and it's a great, it's a great book. It talks about the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. That's the twin thieves, right? That rob you of stuff. And, and it was great. It was, it was a basketball, I'm sorry, a football story. And that's awesome. I played football, so I, you know, I could relate, but I was like, man, I really, and I, and I'm still thinking about doing this. Uh, I want to get that book for our leadership team here at Gill Athletics, but I'm like, mm, we're more track people. I wish there was a track version of the Twin Thieves. I wish there was a track version of John Wooden. Uh, so I, I'm on this big kick of more people need to write some more things down. In fact, uh, our first high school guest that we ever had, I think it was episode 12, Dave Anderson, uh, who went, who was at that time at Bentonville West in Arkansas, but has gone on to win a state championship in Oregon of all places. That's quite, mm -hmm. quite amazing. But go back and listen to to uh, to his uh, podcast as well. But he's starting to write a book, you know, so I'm very encouraged. Yeah. So for you, sorry, all this wraps into you, Billy, I promise. <laughs> You know, I think there are, you know, I go to clinics and I see the webinars that we're doing, which are amazing. I go to the convention, which is, you know, to me, it's my holy grail. I love that place. And I see a lot of people talking about really great stuff, really interesting stuff. But people learn in different ways. You know this as an education major and as an, as an educator, that people learn in different ways. Some people need to hear it. Some people need to see it. Some people need to read it, touch yeah, it, right? Yeah, so I think yeah. there needs to be more <laughs> written. But what I'm going to encourage you, Billy is you've probably spoken about, you know, how to coach distance runners and things like that. But I think there's a hyper niche short form, if you will, about that specifically, that topic of, hey, you know what, if you're in a, a, a concrete locked area, you can still get it done. Here are the things that you have to concern yourself with. You talked about hard surfaces, so shoes and maybe rest or whatever. You know, here here's some workout ideas. Um, here's some things we tried that didn't work. Uh, and then here's maybe the Holy grail. If you do have every resource available, okay, drive a bus to, you know, to the yeah. park or whatever, things like that. But I would encourage you, whether it's through LinkedIn articles, uh, whether it's YouTube and just, you know, one-on-one -on -one videoing to, to talk about that subject specifically, because you have a lot of great experience with it. It'll help others. There'll be someone in LA that goes, man, I watched this guy on YouTube and he freaking coached a sub nine guy in the middle of Chicago. Well, wait a minute. I'm in the middle of LA. I should be able to get it done. And we were able to take kids to, you know, maybe they go from 10 minutes to nine 30. That's amazing. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Right. So yeah. just want to encourage yeah. you to these hyper niche parts of track and field. And this is specifically training, which isn't really my forte anymore, but just want to encourage you that uh, you and others that are listening, there's some really, there, there's a, you know, we had a, a high school coach in Kentucky um, and forgive me, I cannot remember his name uh, on the podcast last year or two years ago uh, that has no track, but hosts a, a home track meet every year. I had him on the podcast just for that. Cause I was like, what in the world? How do you, how do you, how do, you do, do that? that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm and, interested. <laughs> yeah. And he did not let a, a, not having a facility stop him from letting his kids be able to be celebrated and run at home. You know, we, we know how home meets are way different. Oh than yeah. Meets, yeah. Right? Yeah. Definitely. So he just, you know what, he didn't let tradition and excuses and all this get in the way he did uh four by one lap around the parking lot. You know, he, I think he measured out. He's like, I think it was like 157 meters. So we just did four by one, you know, one lap. And we did the one lap, of course, you know, that was a race. And we did the shot put over in the softball facility from the home plate. Uh, um, uh, he dug, <laughs> he got permission and dug his own sand pit right outside the school and did the long jump and triple jump. Let's and I was like, go. I was like, yeah. what a, I mean, that to me is the leadership that happens every day on the coaching from all levels 
uh, side every single day. We just don't see it. And yeah. a lot of us are held back by, well, I don't have a track, so I can't have a home meet. That Well, it's been proven that that's incorrect. And you don't yes. have to do it like him. Maybe you do a home meet and you only do the, yeah. the one lap, you know, races or whatever, but yeah. you can make it happen. Anyway, off my soapbox. Let's get. No, that was great. Keep thing. going. No, this is, this is good stuff. So you're at Whitney Young, 10 years. That's a, that's a, that's a long time, man. Uh, yeah. And you're teaching special ed the entire way. That has to be profound. very yeah. fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it, that was, that was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. So why leave? Um, well, I, I got a little burnt out. Um, this is me loading my plate again, uh, as all distance runners do. We're type A, we're weird, you know, things like that. For the most part, generally speaking, there's some, there, there's some nuances out there that they're normal distance runners, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I started a track club, um, shortly thereafter at Whitney Young and, um, it was a couple of kids they were like, hey, you know, we see you out there running with your kids. We don't go to Whitney Young, but we see you out there in the area. Do you, my kids want to start running? Can you help out? I was like, yeah, sure, I help out. You know, I'm not doing anything afterwards. So then I didn't realize what I was getting myself into because these kids, they knew how to market themselves and what they were doing on social media. I didn't know this. So then the next year, there were about 13 kids that came out, their friends, because I was coaching them. We kind of, we, you know, again, we were creative and, you know, they got a good workout in. They felt confident. You know, you know, I was a six foot version of Kevin Hart. So we will have a lot of jokes and things like that <laughs> during the um, during our time at practice. And then 13 kids came out next year. Mm-hmm. And then after that, 34 kids came out the 30. And then after that, it was 117 kids. And we didn't market anything in Chicago. So we founded the uh, Windy City Hammers Track Club. Mm. Um, That was, (laughs) so it's still going on now. There's about, Mm -hmm. I think last year was about 215 kids that uh, signed up because I gave it up. I was like, I'm getting up at six o'clock in the morning. I'm doing special ed. I'm coaching a high school team that was very high powered. Um, Kids going to Notre Dame, Stanford, Duke. Um, MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Williams, like they were, they were next level type athletes. And it was fun for me, um, you know, being around that and being in those intense situations. And then after that high school practice, I get to work with the little kids and it was so much fun, you know, watching them like, you know, wow, I never knew I could do this stuff. So I'm watching like all of the the human development of track, mm-hmm. you know, you had kids that played soccer, you had kids that played basketball and they came to track and that's where parents, you know, start to overload their kids with stuff. So I learned how to just make it fun. Mm-hmm. You got to have fun. You, you can't be stressed out. Um, And I jumped into the minds of parents and why they're motivated to have their kids do so many things at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, And they, obviously live vicariously through their kids. They think that their genes and their heredity is going to pass through to their kids, which some of them do, some of them don't. We see that happen. Um, And so I definitely learned a lot from just working with young kids from eight to 14, because then I had the high school kids kind of knew how their minds worked. And then I was like, all right, I'm tired. (laughs) And then Chicago public schools, the, um, the structure for sports, was inadequate. Mm. And so we would go on strike a lot. Mm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. once we go on strike, kids couldn't compete. 
Mm-hmm. And there was one specific strike that happened that really, you know, moved me the wrong way where it was right in October, late October, that's cross country championship postseason. And most of the kids could not run their conference meet, their regional wow. meet, and more importantly, their sectional meet to get to the Illinois State meet. Yeah. And so one young lady, uh, she went out and she did a, a blitz, you know, I, I'm not sure what it's called, but it's this... Um, it was like she went on Meet the Press, CNN, you know, Fox News all of Sunday morning. But it was more on the, the Chicago media outlets mm-hmm. where she was like, we need to change this. This needs to happen. They oh. filed an injunction with the uh, judge. And at the 11th hour, none of these athletes ran at the sectional championship. Therefore, they were barred from going to the state meet. But since that injunction was filed, they passed sectionals and went on to the state meet. And they didn't find this out until like eight o'clock at night. So at eight o'clock at night, this announcement comes out via press uh, release. And so all of these kids are hopping into a van, driving down to the state meet. (laughs) And they were like, we, so Dick Pond Athletics, um, they had a Chicago version of that uh, Uh state meet at, I think, um, at, on Lakefront. Oh, cool. And it was right around uh, Loyola University. And you know, they ran that meet, and then the next day they were like, "Oh, we can go down to state." So all of this stuff was happening to these young kids, and I'm just like, "We we can't be doing this anymore." Mm. You know, we we can't put ourselves um, in a position to, I would say, you know, for lack of a better word, disenfranchise our kids that mm-hmm. work so hard, and then all of a sudden, you um you don't want to have them express them themselves mm-hmm. um, athletically, so. So two topics there. Let's start with you, and then we'll talk about what you just talked about there about the, um, you, you know, the the muck that specifically with CPS schools. I have a a friend of my wife's husband is a teacher at Lane, and yeah, yeah, I hear it all the time. In fact, he was and he was a member or big, uh, you know, uh, officer in the in the um, uh, union. So you know, I you know, yeah, very yeah. involved. But start with you first. You know, we had recently a guest from UW Parkside, Carly Failer, and. She said something that I, you know, never thought about. We we hear about people talk about 110 percent, right? And you, you earlier you talked about I was all in. When I'm all in, I'm on running. I was all in on running, right? So mm-hmm. we talk about that one 110 percent thing, uh, and I've never heard heard it discussed the way she did on the other side. It's like, well, if you're going to be 100 or 110 percent, whatever number you want to make up there, if you're going to be all in on something, well, that means you other places are going to have to suffer. Uh, that could be, you know, uh, when we think about our athletes, social life, uh, maybe yeah. maybe our grades, maybe, you know, academics suffers, maybe our family, uh, maybe other extracurricular activities. What I wonder from you, Billy, when you're talking about coaching, you know, you're, you're coaching a high school team, you're working with a, a very special segment of students in special education. Uh, it's not enough for you. So you decide to start a track club that grows to three figures. That's a lot of, of kids. What do you think? I won't ask you to represent the entire coaching body, but for you, when you think about you and coaching, what is it about track that we, we tend to just like, we're, we're a little bit masochist. I think that's the right word, or I just said a bad word and I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> not that smart. I was wondering like, Oh, is that the right word? You know, junkie, junkie, where, where junkie. Like, yeah. Yeah. We 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 kind of thrive on the I get up at 4 a.m. for my morning long run and then I work in the office until noon and then I coach from 12 until six and then I'm back in the office from six until 10 recruiting. What is it about? Again, I won't ask you to represent the coaches of all, I'll ask you for you. Yeah, what is yeah. it about you that you were like, you know what? 
I'm not busy enough. I'm going to go start a track club. You know, I, I, I can't put a finger on it. I, I'm not sure. I, I think I'm going to say for me, when I went for my 10 mile runs, my 12, 13 mile runs, there was once I built to that particular distance, I'm like, I still got the rest. I can use two hours to go run, which not a lot of Americans can do. Right. And then I can go and still have a full day. And so it's like, that's, you know, you, you get to a point where you've done all this stuff and it doesn't, it's, it's not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not a, a stimulus anymore. You were, we're always looking for a stimulus, right? Bodies well, at homeostasis. That's interesting. You need a stimulus to kind of grow. Um, and it's like, all right, I can do this because we're, we're specialties. Um, you know, we know how to, especially with me, when it came to working at Whitney Young and working in the, the concrete jungle, as, you, as we would like <laughs> to call it, I was super creative and my mind was always going. I would get up and I would run on my lunch, which I think most people do, you know, 45 minutes. I can clear six or seven miles in 45 minutes, come back and still have a full day of work with working with kids with special needs, dealing with parents, talking with administrators, trying to solve problems on a day to day. And we were consumed with that. And it's like, ah, okay, I'm going to go, you know, watch, you know, Golden Girls in the afternoon when I go home, you know, <laughs> it's like, and so we, it was, we, and we needed more stimulus. So we mm. just continue to do more, you know, and, and certain people are wired that way. Now it can get to a dangerous tipping point for sure. You know, where you're just like, oh my God, I can't. And that's where you have to have the discipline to pull back and be like, hey, and that's what I did at, you know, in, in 2018. It's like, I, and I need to take a step back. And that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. How can we help people see before they get to that part? You, you know, I, I just see it with track. And, you know, I see it with track coaches more because I'm involved with track coaches on a 24-7 mm -hmm. basis, right? Yeah. But I wonder, like for you, like I think, okay, Billy, instead of starting that track club, and, you, and, and, I, and I, this is, you know, something I've learned. And again, this is why I really enjoy these conversations here on the podcast. I continue to learn and see different perspectives. I like the way you put of like, oh, you know, you, you know, we're human bodies. So we like stimulus. Most of us prefer, you know, some type of stimulus. So, okay, if I'm already running and working, it's like, all right, well, I did that for a couple of years. I need more. I need overload, right? The, yeah. the principle of overload. Okay, I need more. So I yeah, get stronger yeah, yeah. and whatever. But why did, you know, for a guy like you, why would you have chosen a track club, which not poo-pooing on track clubs, by the way, like we yeah. need them and need more of them and need yeah. great people yeah. involved in them. It helps our young people in this sport. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you go volunteer at your local library? Why didn't you, um, and maybe you didn't, and we don't necessarily need to get into it, but uh, a, right. a, a relationship. Um, why didn't you, you know, uh, go more into faith? Why, 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 you know, there's a lot of other things that you could have had for stimulus. Yeah. And you chose more track. <laughs> well, let's go two things. Um, let's go back to, I was told I was doing something very well. So I kept doing it. <laughs> Number one. Number two, there was an absolute need um, for a track club in the city of Chicago. Going back to, you know, okay. you said it, Dunbar. I'll, well, I'll okay. agree with that. <laughs> okay. There was also a need in your part of Chicago for help at the library. Uh, there was also right. need for someone to work the soup kitchen. Uh, yes. you, you know what I'm saying? So combine those two, I'm with you. But when yeah. you only say like there was a need for a track club, I agree because there's a need for track club everywhere. Right, right. And so you're saying because I was told, hey, I'm doing a good job and you were doing a good job. It's like, oh, well, then I can I can go that route. 
Right. Okay. So, and, and that was, so the soup kitchen, the library, changing people's lives was all wrapped up into getting that track club up and running on the inner city of Chicago. Because some of these kids never took a plane trip to sure. Oregon. Yep. They never took a bus ride. They've never interacted with somebody maybe older than them or their same age. You know, west side of Chicago, south side of Chicago. Yeah. We were, I felt we were changing lives through tracking. For yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when those kids came around, like, hey, you know, you know, you're doing a good, not doing a good job, but hey, we want to, we see your kids running. We want to do that too. Mm -hmm. And we had these kids from the, you know, around the Marshall area. Um, the Marshall, uh, the Commandos, uh, they were historically famous for their women basketball team, Dorothy Gators. Um, you know, Nike did something mm -hmm. with her. But anyway, she um, that's where we practice early parts of our um, inception of the track club with our um, track coach over there, Coach Stephanie Dauber. And we definitely seen people um, change their lives, you know, do good, better in school, um, interact with people, have people from the affluent side of Chicago be with the, you know, the impoverished side of Chicago. And so now people are seeing these two worlds collide. For sure. And so as that continued to grow, as we start to build those connections with all facets of life, and we all know track and field is super diverse. It's absolutely diverse with body types, with, you know, um, structures and things. It was, I mean, you, you couldn't get any more. And in my eyes, you couldn't, you couldn't get any more for the younger generations and younger kids in the, in the city of Chicago. So that's why it blew so quickly as far as numbers go, because they was like, wow, this is pretty, you know, pretty special. Yeah, no, no doubt. No arguments against me. And you oh, know, yeah, for sure. Your, your point that you made there about, you know, that's it's the beauty of why I, I, you know, my passion is to be a track coach advocate is because of the sport, uh, mm -hmm. colors, uh, male, female, body types. There is a place for you to have some success in track and field, regardless. Mm -hmm. uh, by the yeah. way, uh, physical disability. There is a place for you. Yes. In track yeah, and field. There's yeah, not. Sure. In, there's not in other sports. There mm -hmm. is in track and field. So definitely no arguments. This now kind of wraps into my second part of the topic you brought up. Um, and per permission to have maybe maybe a little bit difficult conversation. Oh, bring it out. I love that. If you're watching on YouTube, he, he gave me the. Uh, uh, <laughs> he almost slapped the the floor like defense back in basketball. Like come on, come on. Okay, so. Knowing that, you know, you're continuing to add stimulus, you're in the track club and the track club becomes big and you're still teaching. I mean, your your workload is just a teacher would yeah. be 100% for a lot of people. You're yeah. adding coaching track for Whitney Young. There's a, a, you know, 110%. You're adding a track club. There's another, you know, 120%. You mentioned about, you know, the, the byproduct of these strikes that happen. And I'm not anti-strike and anti-union because i'm definitely yeah. pro teacher yeah yeah for sure but uh, not but when strikes happen a lot of things get disrupted uh and sometimes for the greater good like right the, the, if the teachers can get better at cps then that'll you know 10 years from now that'll be better cross-country kids and track kids and, and educated kids and things like that but while it's happening, there are byproducts. There are kids who, you know, their dream was to make it to the state meet and they don't get to go and things like that. Right. right? You mentioned yeah. at this point, uh, and, you know, no judgment here of getting burnt out and being very, um, maybe these are my words, um, disenfranchised with the system. It's like, man, is this what it's going to be at CPS every year? Because it's happened quite yeah. often. And yeah, so you yeah. decide to leave. 
my question, maybe the difficult conversation here. And again, you can look back at it now instead of being in the moment. It's always different when you're in the moment. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now you're looking back. Do you believe that maybe a guy like you could have had a greater impact staying in the muck than leaving? I think I would have had a greater impact staying for sure. However, my mental health and all these other things, they will start to deteriorate. And, and so when you have when you have a system that's set up like that, you want to make sure the system can or the foundation mm -hmm. system is the uh, equivalent to a foundation. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that foundation, that system is supported. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about lack of resources. When you talk about lack of, you know, things, you know, right now in, in the nation, there's a shortage of bus drivers. And so how are these kids going to get to where they need to get the system is, is fracturing mm -hmm. a little bit. And because there's not enough resources to go around. For whatever, there's a multitude of layers and reasons mm -hmm. why these things are happening the way they are right now. Mm -hmm. And so for me, being a young man in the inner city of Chicago and just give, give, that's what track coaches do. Mm -hmm. More, more most than, than I want to say um, other coaches in the world, they all give. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. Um, and again, biased opinion. We're right? biased. I was going to say, we're yeah, biased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're biased. But, you know, we're, we're giving, we're giving, we're giving. And then, you know, there's, you're not replenishing your cup. It's like, all right, okay, I got to step. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly, go back to the first part of that conversation. That is my point, I think. I think you just made my point. Okay. In, instead of like, I, you know, do, are you a Marvel guy? Do you watch all the Marvel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, me 20, too. 24, 24 movies now? I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've watched them all. You. We watched them all in order at one point. Too. Oh, nice, nice. So I, I like this theory of the multiverse, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, a different branch of Billy Poole Harris's life. Like I, I think about like, what if Billy didn't start the the track club? Mm -hmm. obviously there's some bad things that happen because you don't start the track club. You, you, you right. change people's lives. So maybe those lives don't yeah. get changed or maybe they get changed somewhere yeah. else. Right. But instead of starting the track club, uh, you get maybe more involved in the teachers and teachers union and you make a change inside of CPS for teachers, which affects not just track kids, all the yeah. uh, student athletes. And you're not burnt out because you're not running the track club, but you know what yeah. I'm saying? That, that's my point. Yeah, of yeah, like, for sure. I sometimes wonder with our track coaches on all levels, college, high school, et cetera, clubs, if we're, I, I know we're doing it out of the best intentions of our heart. There's no, I a hundred percent believe that there's nothing in me that believes anybody's doing this to make money, et cetera, et cetera. You should be making money right. though. I'm not anti-money. <laughs> you hundred percent listen to me, track coaches. I'm tired of the uh, martyrism of, well, I don't do it for the money. I do it for the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no. great and all, but you need a house yeah. payment and you need to take care of your family. You need to take care of your charities and passions. So yeah, stop saying it. It's a martyr statement. <laughs> stop saying it. But I know you don't get into it. It's like, oh, I'm gonna make a lot of money off these kids. It's like, no, I'm gonna help these kids. And yes, I hope to make profit because I need to reinvest into the club and I need to uh, invest into my house payment, et cetera, things like this, right? I just wonder, instead of spreading ourselves so thin for the greater good, I get it. If there's not other areas, and you made an excellent point, the mental health of ourselves, the mental health of our coaches, are we, would we be better served? We got to take care of ourselves to take care of others. We have to be selfish to be selfless. How do we, not how do we, but that, that's my concern with coaches. Your story, I hate to tell you this, it's not unique in that aspect. I wish, oh, no, was, no. I wish yeah, you were the sure. only one who had spread themselves <laughs> so thin that you're like, man, I'm probably at a breaking point. And if I yeah. don't step away, bad things are going to happen, not good things for me and others yeah. as well. 
Definitely, definitely. You know, no, that's that's it in a nutshell, you know, and I think we as coaches, as mentors, as someone that were young people, you know, on the collegiate level and, you know, eight years old, when they see us, they see us as they like to imitate. So they imitate our movements, they imitate our sounds, our, our vocabulary, things like that. And they also are going to be, um, we, we're in that position to where we can say, hey, I've done this before, what you're going through. And, you know, let's try to steer you in a different direction. You said that earlier, you know, how would you have done it differently if I would have had a mentor or if I would have moved in that direction? Like, I've, you know, Billy, I've done this before and you're walking down the same path that I've done. You know, you're doing great things. However, you are um, you're setting yourself up to have a setback. So you have two options. You can go and do it this way and continue on with your doing, or you can try to change it, which is hardest, you know, easier said than done. Sure. You can go this direction and you can try to create this space and a new where you can salvage what you're going through or what's going on with you. And then, you know, be able to help those, those athletes for sure. For sure. Billy, well, I certainly wish maybe we would have done this interview two years ago. I'm so happy we're doing it now. You are bringing up yeah points that are for the greater good of our coaching body. And again, you're, you know, heck, we're still on your first job. I know the first job was 10 years, which I love that. Yeah, 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 we've yeah, got yeah. some other stops to get to here, but you yeah. know, what your, the experiences you've had in the actions that you've taken are important for others to hear. And I really, and I know, you know, social media is a great outlet for that. I mean, you know, the guy that lives on Twitter here, so I'm super <laughs> excited about that. It's hard sometimes for, uh, I'm going to use you as the example here, Billy. Uh, it's hard sometimes for, it's easy for Billy to say, hey, look, I got this job and hey, uh, my kid made uh, All-American and hey, we had the All-Academic GPA team and hey, but you know, all these great things. It's hard for us on social media to say, ah, I think I might be spreading myself too thin. Like I've never seen a coach tweet that. I'm sorry, I haven't. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I know, yeah. but I know it's true. I know there's coaches out there. We we oh, need sure. to start talking in reality world here. That yeah. first of all, to have highs, you have to have lows. So I know you've got lows, personal, uh, oh, financial, yeah. things oh, like man. that, relational. We've got to have open conversations that it does happen to others. If someone sees again, just using you as an example here, Billy. Someone sees Billy and says, "Man." Billy's got the best life in the world. Every job's the best job. He's so successful. Uh, what's wrong with me? I can't, you know, I'm struggling with a relationship, but, but Billy's doing it. So I got to be, and it's like, oh, wait, you don't understand. Billy actually struggles too. Billy struggles with the uh, imposter syndrome. Billy struggles with um, uh, academic side, et cetera. We have to know that other people struggle and overcome so that when we struggle, we have hope that we can overcome. You, you got me on my soapbox all <laughs> episode on this one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Billy, Whitney Young, 10 years, a lot's going on. You got strikes with the CPS Teachers Union. Uh, you're running a 100-plus <laughs> track club. That alone is full-time, buddy. Um, what all we... the emails that we sent out, oh. yeah, that was fun, man. Yeah. Fun. What do we end up doing? You you take a step back from Whitney Young and go to... Take a step back. Um, what happened? We. I, we started getting really good um, as far as the team. Um, I sent a first, um, one of my guys, he was a two-time All-American, and he went to go represent um, the United States for the U-20 cross-country championship in uh, Edinburgh, uh, United Kingdom. And I was like, wow, this is fun, you know? And so you, a lot of track coaches, we go to these big meets, and we realized real quickly, like, I can do that. You know, there, there's... 
this is nothing different, you know, or you meet a, um, you know, a Noah Lau, or you meet a Shakari Richardson, you meet, you know, Amando Duplantis or something like that. You're like, they walk and talk the same way, or, you know, you start to see them and they um, are saying some things, maybe with his training or maybe how they set up their, their training or what have you. And they affirm everything that you've been doing. And it's like, I'm going to do it. That feels so, good. <laughs> yeah, it feels, it feels great. Right. And so now all of a sudden I'm like, all right, I like this. I'm, I'm going to take my a step to the next level. You know, I've always wanted to be a collegiate coach, you know, and so I left Whitney Young and I went to go volunteer um, at colleges in the area to, um, to start the college career. Mm-hmm. What, what did, you know, I'm a, I think I can say this. I think I am. <laughs> That's not very uh, <laughs> definitive here. I think I'm very anti-volunteer coaching again, because I want our coaches to get paid. That's, Yes, that, that's what I really, yes. you know, that's the, oh, yeah. the heart of oh, when I no. say that. How yeah. did volunteering go in and how did you turn that in, that experience into an actual full-time or right. part-time paid position? Yeah. So hindsight is 20, 20 and 50, 50. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've never heard that that second part. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, you know, yeah, I, 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 the picture is completely clear. I totally could have did it this way or I totally could have done it that way. So, um, also, yeah, no, it was a great time. Um, at my first stop, Northern Illinois, met some great coaches, mm-hmm. great athletes. Um, start to see things on a Division One level; they definitely feed you. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I love me some food. Um, so, I would did that for one semester, mm-hmm. um, and then I went on to Indiana State um, after Northern for um for that small stint so i only volunteered for one semester which okay. was great um mm-hmm. we they went to uh to texas actually um at the national championship i think that baton right there is, oh, is cool. a gill baton yeah, that you nice. get coaches at the uh mm-hmm. at the national championship mm-hmm. so um we i went there you know met with some people and things like that and then indiana state was my next stop shortly thereafter Stayed there for three years, had some great athletes there. And it's kind of weird, you know, going into a brand new system, trying to understand it, especially having the the inexperiences that I had as a high school coach going into the collegiate realm is totally different. Yeah. Um, and then COVID was one of those years. Um, does everyone remember where they were at March 10th is the question, <laughs> right? March 10th, we're watching Utah Jazz and the uh, Dallas Mavericks, and we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> the whole world is coming to an end right now. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so we went through that, and then afterwards, uh, I, you know, it's like I, I can do this. I, I can head up my own program, and so that's when I moved out here to New York area um, to to start on a Division three level at Bard College. And then after that, boom, um, I get a call from Marist College that um, that they're looking to fill the position, and I apply for it, and um, I started here and. In August. And what level is Marist? Marist is Division One. Division One. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're at Indiana State, good friends, Jeff and Angela Martin, they do an amazing yeah, job. Yeah. I'm always, and, you know, and proceeded with, uh, you know, John the, Nichols. John yeah, John, Nichols, yeah. And, yeah, the John, the, the double Johns, right? The double Johns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great, great, great people and, uh, you know, awesome coaches, but even better, better people. Um, and I'm always impressed with like the Indiana States, the University of Northern Iowa's, the teams that, yeah. I, you know, it seems like a slam, but it's not, but yet it is, you know, overachieve, right? They're mid-majors and it's like, well, you know, you're not LSU, you're not, you know, uh, yeah. Oregon uh-huh. or whatever, mm-hmm. 
but they always have, first of all, fantastic teams on, on, the, yes. on the conference level. And then many, many athletes every year typically mm-hmm. will qualify to the national meet. Uh, Indiana State's your first full-time college yeah. gig, if you will. Yeah, part-time, part-time, part-time. Yeah, what are the, yeah. you know, I, I like busting myths. And one of the myths that I talk about quite often uh, is high school coaches can't coach on the college level. When a, when a college coach goes to look to hire someone, well, you can't bring a high school coach in because they don't know how to A and B and C and D. And the crazy part, again, after I've interviewed 250 some odd coaches, I'm always amazed at how many started out as high school coaches. So I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> like uh, um, um, Chris Johnson, the new head coach of University of Arkansas women's track and field, started out as a high school level. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. well, wait a minute. Uh, you're going to tell me? Yeah. So he should he not have been hired because he was a air quotes here high school coach bull mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> so, but what what were some of the harder transitions what did you have to get used to like oh okay well we don't do it like this on the high school level I better right. adjust yeah so first first and foremost I got a hundred on my recruiting test uh, <laughs> did you really a hundred you gotta learn how to recruit yeah yeah I, definitely I, um, I still remember uh, taking my recruiting test in the SEC. And when we were did it in the SEC, one of the, um, I don't think it was the commissioner, but one of the big wigs from the SEC would come there when we were all, you know, it's all everybody, basketball, football, track. And I remember, and, and I've done this since back when I was, a, you know, elementary school. I never check my work. I'm terrible at that, but I'm pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. I remember, you know, within, I'll say within minutes, I don't remember if it was 15 or 30, but I was the very first one right up there to turn it in. And I remember the guy yeah. looking at me, he goes, well, there's no way you passed. <laughs> and, and I said, we'll uh-huh. see. And I missed one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, yeah. when I got my results back, I was like, where is that guy? I want to make sure he knows. <laughs> I want yeah, to bring him to me, bring him yeah. to me. You got a hundred. Yeah. Awesome job. Okay. So you yeah. got a hundred. Well, yeah. And, and that was the thing. I, I think a, one of the bigger transitions were for me was talking to recruits or understanding the administration work. Mm-hmm. It's essentially 80% administration work, 20% coaching. Right. Mm -hmm. But your job there is to coach. So Mm -hmm. you got to get your administrative work done and, you know, filling out the recruiting, uh, Mm -hmm. not the recruiting questionnaires, but the um, the recruiting form. I I made a phone call. I got to log all this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of people miss that. And and then it becomes, you know, um, it becomes hard to juggle. Um, I was type one of the coaches um, when I started out on the collegiate level, they were like, Billy, you're type A ish. Like, you like stuff to be in order, but you can still drop the ball every once in a while. I was like, all right, let me work on that. You know, so I worked on that and, and started to become, you know, again, we've talked about administrative stuff. You can't cut and paste on the collegiate level. You got to actually take some time, sit down and do the nuances that you need to do to uh, keep. It's an organization. You know, I, I, I like to call it, you know, it's like you are the district manager or the you know, manager of a McDonald's. You have all these, you know, underage people uh, there that are looking for their first time job and you need to teach them, all right, this is your schedule. This is what you need to do. Yeah. We can't, once you leave work, we don't know what you're doing. So, and when you leave practice, we don't know what you're doing right. for 21 to 22 hours afterwards, but you better be back the next day for work so you can do your job, you know, specifically well. We're going to take care of you after a while, you know, so all of those things I like that. kind of, you know, <laughs> took some time to to learn, to understand, and then be very effective at it. You know, you can learn all this information, but if you don't use it to the betterment of your student athlete, then you're going to have failed teams. 
So, or failed athletes um, on the individual side. Uh, I love that McDonald's uh, analogy. I don't know if that's what word for that. That was re- like, yeah. when you said that, I was like, where's he going with this one? I was like, and then as you started describing, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, you, that, yeah. I mean, that nails it. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So take it to the flip side then. And this is maybe the more important side. And this is for college coaches to listen to uh, when you have an opening here to consider high school coaches for those openings. What did you find? I'm going to use the word extremely easy, but what was it like? Oh, okay. From high school to college, boy, there's no difference. Maybe they're just a year older or whatever. I don't know. What was something that was like, oh yeah, this is easy. This is no different than high school. For distance runners specifically, the mechanics. When you are in high school, just the way the body moves and maybe it's just, you know, the way I see it, but you're not doing anything differently. Mm -hmm. If you train some successful high school athletes um, that went on to, you know, college and ran, it is, and you learn the mechanics, right? Like a skip or butt kicks or, you know, jumping, skipping, even jump roping. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you know how to do those things on a high school level, because you kind of have to, so those athletes can go off. Right. Um, when I got to the collegiate level, I was like, they're not doing anything different. I was nervous. I was at Indiana State. I can tell you the mm-hmm. story. Um, mm-hmm. I was super nervous. They're like, all right, Billy, you got the men's team. I was like, I do. Oh, okay. All right, cool. And so they were like, really hands off. Um, you know, they're not a micromanaging type of situation. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to get it done. And we'll have a conversation every week on how you're doing things. And so first day of practice, I'm sitting here like, okay, we're about to do this warm up, you know, and I wrote everything down on what they needed to do. And they started to, I'm like, I'm, I'm looking around at all the other coaches, like, I hope they're not looking at what we're doing. And it was just a basic drill, right? Because you were concerned so that they'd be like, I was what concerned is Billy that doing? I'm on a collegiate level. The, he's doing the elementary drills. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. And so I remember, you know, we went through a basic, you know, warm-up routine with all your, you know, your typical drills. And this one young man, he went same arm, same leg when he skipped. And I'm just like, stop, time out. And I'm like, okay, they need this, you know? So I just jumped right in. I was like, all right. So I started to teach him, you know, how to do A skip and B skip. And uh, B skip is probably one of the more difficult ones to teach distance runners because they do the rock catch. They just kind of flick their legs out. Um, so, yeah, so that was, once we got, once I got through that and I got over myself, you know, um, and I just started coaching them again, everything was fine. I mean, warm up routine was normal. How you structure track meet, normal. It was just super chill as far as the time schedule. We were on time. In high school, we could be easily an hour behind schedule at the start of meet. But in college, you're on time. Mm. And that's because people are traveling from long places or maybe taking flights and they book their flight immediately after the meet. So if you have a a meet that's running long, those kids, uh, coaches could miss their flights back home and things like that so no I I learned an awful lot and it wasn't really different it really wasn't well I know there's a lot going on on the college side recruiting uh, maybe you're hosting a home meet or a championship meet travel plans things like that that are certainly maybe a little different from high school now trust me high school coaches are doing travel plans to the state meet they're doing overnights things like that they're recruiting they're recruiting their hallways Mm -hmm. trust me absolutely Uh, but to your point there the coaching is the coaching is the coaching. If you're interested in a high school coach because they've produced really good, improved athletes, 
well, that's going to continue on on the next level at college. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. If you if you're concerned that they can't recruit, first of all, they do recruit. But mm-hmm. if if you're interested enough in that person because of you know it, it's not just coaching. Usually, there's some kind of attraction. Like, oh, I could see myself working with him or her, right? Well, okay, that's the same vibe they're going to give when they go to recruit. I mean, yeah, you, you, what you really have to teach is like, okay, here's I know as a teacher you've done paperwork, so here's the, our our version of the paperwork. There's not there, there's not. Yeah. It's not this big difference between the no. two levels. There really, really isn't. No, yeah. Okay, Billy. So you go there from Division One, the Sycamores, and you go to Bar, which is a Division Three. Uh, which is there's some there are some rules differences. Um, yes. Obviously, you know one of the bigger things is you no know, athletic scholarships and training right. happens a little bit later. I think in the fall, if I remember correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you do? How did you do with the transition to the Division Three level? It was it was the same. Um, it was more the high school that I was at, just kind of 2.0. Um, academic same, still same kids, 17, mm-hmm. 18 year old, 19 year old kids moving away from home, making mm-hmm. that transition from high school to college. You know, some kids get homesick, but they were really focused on their academics. And so now you have to balance the whole thing. Like, coach, you know, I can't be here for maybe mm-hmm. two days because I have an art project that I have to do, or I have a big assignment coming up and my stress levels are high. I think we dealt with more you know, people with high stress levels because they wanted to do well mm. on the collegiate level and also uh, academically and athletically. And so those were the things that you had to be creative with, mm-hmm. you know, how you look into run a workout this or have this, you know, mesocycle of work that you have to do throughout um, that time period. And they might miss one day a week. So what can you do? Well, you just mm-hmm. change the workout have something you know harder on one day and the day that they need to leave, make that a more of a recovery or easy day, what have you to, um, to accommodate for them, you know, and it's, it's more about accommodations mm-hmm. uh, on the division three level than say the division one level, because, you know, those kids are, and it should be accommodation on every level. Let me make sure I say that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there was a little bit more accommodation for the kids because there wasn't no athletic scholarship, as you pointed out, and they were there because they wanted to be there. And because some kids on the division one level, like, man, the only reason I'm here is because coach, you know, reached out to me and they gave me some money. So I'm right. kind of obligated to be here, mm-hmm. you know. And again, there's some places where they might not give as much scholarship or very little. So it's like, well, this little bit of money I could probably make with a job, but I still love the sport. So I want to be here. And it just happens to be the division one level. Yeah, I'm always amazed. I love that you pointed out about the the person's stress levels and how that might relate to your practice. Um, but I'm always impressed with the, you know, Ivy league coaches, MIT's Georgia techs, oh, yeah. Stanford's um, Claremont mud scripts, those school, you know, these yeah. really, you know, at Mississippi state, when I coached there, we certainly had uh, several kids that were very in tune with their academics and some of them were engineering majors, et cetera, but it wasn't the bulk of the team. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that at the Stanford's Claremont mud scripts, et cetera, MIT's that, the bulk of the kids, they're certainly probably, they probably have it flipped where at a, at a Mississippi state, we had a few that were, you know, very uh-huh. in tune. They probably have flipped to like, there's a few that aren't very in tune, but the mm-hmm. bulk of them do. And so they have to, it's not just the stress of training. They have to make sure, Oh, the academic side, I have to make sure I'm taking that into account on the athletic side. It's very, very Absolutely. impressive with that scrutiny of coaching in regards to the academic side. Uh, so yeah. how long, how long were you at bar? How long were you in the division three? Uh, two years. Yeah. Two years. yeah. Yeah. So there, and you know, I always say, you know, I just want, I, I've moved about 24, 25 times in my life. And I'm like, I'm tired of moving. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of moving. Um, and so, yeah, so I was there for two years. Um, 
And because the marriage job opened up, it's closer to my house um, where I live currently right now. And they're division one. And those athletes, you know, they they definitely bring it, you know, and I always will contribute the, the thought and the comment that division one is Olympic development. Um, and that's where I like to be, you know, just the high stress, you know, um, the you got to get it right the first time type ordeal. So. How how is a Chicago guy through and through dealing being in New York? The pizza game is it's rough out here, man. It's I different. Need my, I need my deep dish. I <laughs> yeah. need my deep dish. I can't get the Chicago Bears out here on the regular TV. That, that might be um, a positive. It's right a good now. thing. Oh, it's a good thing right now. It's totally a good thing. Totally a good thing. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 uh it's interesting. Uh, the Midwestern life is flat like a pancake mm-hmm. out here. There's a lot of hills, but mm-hmm. the um, I'm in a, a very, you know, cradle of the upstate New York area. It's the Hudson Valley. Okay. Um, and we have Angry Orchard, the the orchard out here. So mm-hmm. you know, we can go there and get, you know, some some spiked cider or mm-hmm. some great apple. They they have a mean apple game out here. Uh, it's really nice. And the fall foliage is I think a lot of people from what I heard, they come up from New York to come see the fall foliage oh, wow. out here. Yeah. It's a lot of hiking, beautiful running trails out here. I mean, almost nostalgic. Mm-hmm. If you get that good, you know, 58 to 53 degree weather, little sunny, and you can go out for about a 10, 12 miler. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. If I ever visited Billy, you would be out on that 10, 12 mile. I'll meet you at the orchard. I'll, I got I'll have, you. No problem. I'll have, I'll, have, I'll have a glass ready for you, but <laughs> you, I can't. Yeah, say, yeah save yeah. me a glass in the seat. So as you start your career there at Maris and you look back at, you know, the bars, Indiana States, Whitney Young's, yeah. what yeah. are you doing differently today? As you, you know, you discussed, you know, mental health, uh, overload, overstimulus, right? Kept bringing it yeah. on, bringing it on, bringing it on. What are you doing yeah. differently today? You know, that's a great question. And I definitely, definitely would say more belief. Um, I I love reading. Um, Shang Tsu, The Art of War, you know, you have to know that enemy. And I don't know these enemies, which is our younger generation. Um, they they had that blip in the matrix, as I like to say, with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we're developing more of those skills, necessary skills that they need. And, you know, being a teacher, I go straight to teaching, you know, like we, we need to teach our student athletes, you know, even our, our, the people that we can mentor, just the basic things that we used to learn. And we, it doesn't have to be drastically different, uh, but just, you know, make eye contact when you talk to somebody, um, you know, mm-hmm. everything is not about you. You know, there's other things that's happening in life where you don't have to carry the whole world on your shoulders. And that's why your stress levels get high. And I'm more in tune with their mental health. Um, and I've started to approach coaching a little different you know we have to build confidence within practice because that's a skill that they want to do well and if they do that skill well then they're able to increase their their confidence and any athlete that I meet whether it's a recruit or someone brand new uh, to our team I ask them this one question if you stopped running today you could not ever run again or play any sports who would you be and they struggle with that question. They struggle with that question a lot. I believe the it came from the book, um, Carry, Chop Wood, Carry Water mm-hmm. um, by Joshua Metcalf. Love that book. Mm-hmm. And that was the question that resonated with me from that book. And 
you have to find out who you are as a person. And I think with social media, they don't know who they are because they're watching other people do things. Again, we go back to mimicking and right. imitating. They want to do all of these things at a high level. And I can remember a time where we want to be the best on the block. Like, oh, you know, we're playing, you know, flag football or street football in the right. block. Hey, here comes the car. Watch out, watch out, <laughs> you know. So we want to be the best amongst our friends. Some of these athletes and students now, uh, they're competing with people around the world. You can have somebody from Bogota, Colombia doing the exact same thing as you. We didn't know that back in the day. when The we world were got bigger. Right. The world got super bigger. And now you got to put yourself out there more. You, you're, you know, you, we're liking stuff, you know, we're logging more things. And that's a lot of stress for our young athletes these days. And so if we can kind of, I don't want to say block them, but if we can kind of put some um, blinders on them as they go through these pivotal times in their life, high school, college, yeah. you can worry about this stuff in the real world, you know, because there's, you know, life coaches out there to help you out with that new transition in life from college mm -hmm. to working. Um, if you haven't started that yet. So I try to do a good job of just kind of being uh, a nice um, a nice break from all of that in practice. We're still working hard. We're still doing hard things for sure. Um, we're, and I'm an ultra competitor um, just based on, you know, my background. But, you know, if we can if we can have some fun in practice and not have it be super stressful, we're, we're, we're at a win. Billy, if you couldn't be a track coach, uh, a sports coach, running who would you be i would play golf no just play. <laughs> no um honestly i i think for me i would be a teacher hmm. um i love to cook as well and i just i like philosophy it's weird i love to read <laughs> books i love space um so you know so I, i'm a lifelong learner so mm -hmm. i could definitely you know if i were to put up the the stopwatch and the whistle I would do those things for sure. You've overcome some really amazing blocks, hurdles, if you will. Uh, you know, for first person in your family to go to college, that's a block. You know, you can, you don't have yeah. that example in front of you. Uh, dropping out of school and coming back, you know, overcoming. Overcoming seems to be a theme with your story. Overcoming, uh, you know, where you were at Whitney Young on year 10. Mm -hmm. How do you leverage your personal experience in coaching young people today, as you mentioned, um, they can compare themselves and, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, right? So they can compare yeah. themselves to everybody all the time, 24 hours a day, everywhere. There's someone better than you everywhere. And they're probably on social media telling you about it. So I can feel bad about myself no matter what. Right. How do you leverage your experiences for these young people today? I get over myself. Hmm. I'm just a regular person working hard. That's it. I don't need people, you know, I have these, you know, certifications and things like that. And I like to talk about them just so I can start the connection. Like, hey, I actually kind of know, um, I said, well, I think I know what I'm talking about. Somebody trusted me like, hey, you, you passed the test. So, you know, here, here's a cert. Enjoy. Go, <laughs> go and teach it. Right. But, you know, that's I, I really don't put a lot of stock into, you know, who I was or where I came from and things like that. I love to talk about it. Don't get me wrong. But when I'm trying to make a deep connection with a student athlete, or if I'm trying to usher them through a difficult time, it's not about me. It's never, it's not about anybody. You know, we're all here trying to help each other out. And my, my mom always said, you would never go anywhere in life if, without help. Mm -hmm. So I'm just here trying to fill that gap. Um, and I can sit outside on a nice sunny day at a track and help somebody. And that's a great place to be in an office, you know, 
Um, so yeah, that's that's how I leverage it. And when you can come to a person and you can connect with them and not having a, a superior position um, and they feel like they're inferior, then you're able to bridge that gap. I like to use them. Um, if I'm using my hands, I, I like to use my hands a lot. I'm a very talkative person, but you, know, you have your superior and your inferior. And if you just kind of flip it this way, like I'm over here, I want to bring you with me. Yeah. So I just kind of break those walls down with jokes or with, you know, some levity and, and walk them through, you know, what they need to solve their problems. with. So. You said, mentioned you like philosophy and, you know, the, what you said with your mom there, but she knows this quote, uh, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go yeah. far, go with others. So that's a, when mm -hmm. you said, when you said to your mom said that, I was like, Oh, I bet mom knew that one. Yeah, she definitely, definitely. All right. Last two questions here today, Billy, you already gave us kind of one. You talked about uh, uh, chop wood, carry water. Uh, you're a big book reader. I, I, I as yeah. well love to read. Give us a book recommendation. What's the latest book you read that you're like, Oh um, man, you've got to get this cover to cover. Um, so going back to the philosophy, I love Ed Lyrian psychology. Um, yeah, I know it's kind of weird. Like I what said, it, this is from is a weird, yeah. What is it? Ed Lyrian psychology. The, right, what, what is the, that? Um, it's a, it's a frame of psychology. A lot of therapists and things like that used, um, used Ed Lyrian psychology to, you know, help, you know, with therapy sessions and things like that. And so, um, it's not, it's from, I'm going to bring it up here on my phone and the title is have the courage to be disliked mm. and i think it's it's working it's working where are we at here ah it's by ichiro kashimi uh this is a a japanese author um that follows uh he's a disciple of the adlerian psychology model and it just essentially um says that most of the internal struggles that we have are from uh, the way that we view ourselves with others and so if you have the courage to be disliked then it's kind of you know it, it kind of sheds an extra weight off of you uh, and you can kind of see things in a different light it's not all about you it's hey you know if I was to say something critical to, you know, let's say, Mike, I said something critical to you and you take it a certain way. If you are in tune with yourself, if you understand, you know, I know who I am as a person, I'll accept the criticism, but I won't flip out, you know, mm -hmm. or you're reaching out to try to be liked by a lot of other people. Like I'm going to go and run another person's race or mm -hmm. go out and do something that's uncharacteristic of you to gain that like. And that's what a lot of our kids are doing these days. You know, they're doing things that they normally wouldn't do just to get those extra likes, in my opinion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so this book kind of tempers that expectation and say, hey, it's okay to be disliked. It's okay to be within yourself. And you don't have to worry about what other people are saying if you can work with the internal struggles that you have. Mm -hmm. I hear I hear fear of rejection in there, mm -hmm. uh, which was from Twenties. I hear confidence, like if you mm -hmm. can be confident in yourself and, you know, there's a lot of responsibility to being confident in yourself and not worrying about what other people think. Right. And, and what I mean by that is that means you better be learning. You better be you know, a lifelong learner to your point, Billy. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You better be, you know, always questioning yourself. Is this the right thing to do? Is, is this intact yeah. with my morals and my ethics? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of responsibility if you're going to be, I don't care about everybody else you better be on point with your, with yourself then. So 
Yeah, all right, yeah, definitely. All right, Billy, wrap us up today. You are starting here at Marist College out in New York. What's got you excited about this upcoming season and maybe the next two, three, four years? Oh, man, the fall weather. I'm excited. <laughs> the fall weather is beautiful. I, I like cold. Um, New York weathers, winters are super milder than Chicago winters, uh, especially in February. So excited about that. Uh, and just, you know, being around a bunch of, you know, um, energetic kids that are uh, collegiate athletes, rather not kids, collegiate athletes that are are looking to to make the change as well. You know, it's a big change for me. I love change. Um, they like um, what I've been doing and just building new relationships here in the Hudson Valley is, is, is super exciting for me. That's it. That's a great place to stop, man. I love that, Billy. Um, you know, I'm always so grateful. You know, you're, you're busy <laughs> and a guy like you seems like you're going to always be super busy. So to yeah. carve out some time for us here on the podcast and share your journey uh, really does mean a lot to me. That's one of the definitions yeah. of selfless is, you know, we tell these stories of our journey so that others can learn from us. And I think there's several uh, aspects from your journey that we can certainly learn from. Uh, hopefully, you know, keep people from making some mistakes. They're still going to make mistakes, yeah. but maybe these are some mistakes that you can either not make or overcome faster than what we did uh, as growing up. So Billy, I'm just so grateful for you. So grateful for your journey and really yeah. excited to see how it goes at Marist uh, yeah. and the rest of it. You got a long career still ahead of you. So super excited, excited. To, to watch from the sidelines and see the yeah. positive impact that you make on young people. Man, Mike, it's, it's always a pleasure, um, especially inside of a podcast or at the convention. And you know, just everything that you're doing is is important, I think, for not only um, the institution at Gill, but for coaches alike. And, and you reach so many people and, and these lessons are definitely helping. So you're helping people supercharge their understanding on life, coaching and, and other aspects of life. So thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate those good words, my friend. Thank you so yeah. much. And I appreciate right. you being here listening. Thanks again for being here as we continue to uplift and honor coaches around the country. Uh, I hope you got, I think there's a lot here uh, from what Billy's journey is. I think we can learn a lot from here. So this might be one we have to uh, start all over and listen to it again, because there's a, a lot to unpack here. So thanks for being here. Join us next week as on the Gill Track and Field Connections podcast, where we continue to uplift and our coaches around the world. Have a great week, everybody.